3: You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What's up, team? Thank you for downloading this podcast and putting it in your ear holes because there are a lot of things you could be doing right now. But you're hanging out with me because you care about independent music and you care about the people who create it, put it out, document it in whatever fashion. Because, uh, I mean, dude, this show has existed for over eight years and I've had hundreds and hundreds of conversations and I just love being able to bring them to you because this is uh this is an audio zine that's what we're doing here and the audio zine's guest today is Chase Mason he is the vocalist of Gate creeper who uh I will fully admit was always like yeah Gate creeper's cool their most recent release that came out on closed casket activities is an unbelievable piece of music. I am a a full gate creeper uh, convert now. And uh, I admit this at the onset of the discussion with Chase that uh, I became a fan of his band because I was following him on Instagram. (laughs) And I just I loved his vibe and uh just really gravitated towards him. Uh many of my friends are mutual friends uh are with him and I just always was like I-, I appreciate his vibe. I just like it. And uh yeah, once his uh publicist hit me up about this, I'm like, let's do this. And Chase and I had a great conversation. So that's what uh, we're going to bring you in a moment, but you can email the show, 100 Um, I've been noticing a lot of new recent listeners or, you know, the past couple episodes have spiked, and I appreciate that. So if you're new around here, welcome. You take a seat over there and enjoy the conversations. And like I said, you can always email the show, 100 gmail.com. If you are new and you have not reviewed this show on Apple Podcasts, I would appreciate that. It does a lot in the weird algorithm that is the Apple podcast charts. Uh, I don't really care about the charts, but uh, I just want people to be able to find this show on a regular basis that should know about the show. So if you would do that, that would be awesome. And the final thing, you need to be listening to the Punk Rock MBA podcast. It is hosted by my good friend, Finn McKenty, who has been a previous guest on this show uh, multiple times. He's just a really smart dude takes the whole DIY business principles that we learn and booking shows and printing shirts and all of that hustle and applies that to uh, you know interviews he has a, an amazing YouTube channel as well but the podcast is really really cool because he brings on people who uh, might not have a, an immediate connection to DIY but when you boil down to it they absolutely do and so some of his recent guests like he had the CEO of liquid death water um, which I know that some of you are familiar with um, and then he also has a lot of you know sort of like emo soundcloud rapper guys who you know frankly i don't pay attention to whatsoever but when finn has them on the show i listen to the interviews and i'm like wow dude i I learned a lot here's this uh person who has like over five million followers like little xan i don't know who little xan is and maybe i'm just completely mispronouncing his name but anyways what you need to do is listen to his podcast i wholeheartedly endorse it and uh yeah you just need to and you'll become a smarter person because of it so uh yeah that's what we got let's talk to chase I, I was aware of gate creeper and kind of, you know, you in general, uh, but it was weird because it was like, I don't even know what motivated me to uh, start following you on like Instagram. And I know this is like a weird thing, like an adult saying this to an adult. <laughs> it was like, I just started following you. Cause I, uh, and this is going to say, again, sound strange, but like, I liked your vibe <laughs> where it was like, Oh, I, like your band's cool. But like, I just liked what you were putting out there. And It was, and then retroactively, I got into Gatekeeper, where it's like I knew the band, but I just didn't dive into it. And it's really interesting because I think that that is kind of an unintended influence of you know obviously social media and the way that people share their lives, where there are people that probably do not like your band, but like like you or like what you're doing on social media? Like, is that a, a weird thing to kind of, um, I, I guess like, right. Re- you not, not reconcile in your head, but kind of think about in those terms.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, they do go hand in hand and they're also, I think always going to be linked together. Um, and for the most part, if, you know, if somebody likes you, um, they'll probably like your band. Sure. You know, um, but, it could go either way. Someone, you know, could like you, but they don't care. They don't like your band. They maybe hate your band. I think, mm-hmm. I think maybe that would be the longest, uh, or the widest stretch if someone liked you, but then they hated your band. Um, but maybe they like you and they don't really care about your band or, you know, maybe they like your band and they think that you suck personally. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm sure that happens too, mm-hmm. but, um, in a perfect world. And maybe if you're not, you know, doing anything to piss people off or rub people the wrong way, then if, you know, they like you, then hopefully they'll like what you do. Yeah,
3: sure. I, I mean, it is interesting too, cause I'm sure, you know, you're well aware of the, you know, good dude, bad, bad band scenario. I mean, sure, sure. <laughs> and, but it, I, I think it, it really does, it, the the intimacy and the the touch that people can have on you know uh, people like yourself and then you know obviously celebrities and you know sports stars and stuff like that just to feel more connected and be like oh yeah they're actually a real human as long as they're obviously you know sh- sharing a version of themselves that you know makes that <laughs> illustrates them as such but when you you know like obviously what you do is you're not I mean, you're promoting your band, but you're not like shameless about it. You know, you're not like, <laughs> like, hey, uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta post at four o'clock today because uh, I gotta do this thing. It's just like, oh no, well, we have a new record out. And I'm gonna talk about it. Um, yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, I think it. You know, at least for myself, I try to maintain um, self awareness. You know, and everything, and not be uh, delusional or like pretend to do anything like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally okay with, um, promoting my own band or, or something that I'm doing, but I'm not going to pretend like that's not what I'm doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also try not to do the, uh, kind of like the false humility thing, um, that always kind of annoys me or, or, or rubs me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. You know, like if somebody say, just, you know, we just put out a new record and it's like, Hey guys, uh, I guess, you know, here's this record and, you know, I, I think that it's pretty good. Like, hopefully you guys will like it too. Um, I I think that people are kind of scared to, uh, or it's looked down upon because they think that you'll, you seem like overconfident or cocky. Um, if you're just like, Hey, just put out this record. It's really cool. Check it mm-hmm. out. You know? Um, right. I think a lot of things are veiled in this, like, false humility where people are just almost, uh, ashamed or, or because of social media kind of scared to just be proud of what they do. Um, sure. but I've, I've tried to, um, just put it all out there. Like, Hey, just put out this record. I think it's sick Hopefully, you know, listen to it.
3: Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I felt weird kind of like leading the conversation with this, but I I think it's something that, you know, I mean, whatever, I'm a 40 year old adult, you're, you know, in your early 30s. And I, I think it's, it's just interesting to be able to, we have grown up in a music world where, you know, the internet was in its infancy, and then trying to understand now how we get attracted to art and people that put out, you know, music or whatever it is that we support and then how that reckons with social media. I just, I just find it fascinating. That's all.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I think that our, our generation, I'm probably on, you know, if you consider us to, st- even though you're, you're older than me, still in the same generation, I'm, sure. I'm probably the end of, you know, the younger part of the generation where I still remember, growing up without having the internet, um, or at least it not being how it is today. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, I was a teenager when kind of the internet became a real household thing, you know, at least one, one house and one computer in the house, somebody had the internet or like dial up. But I remember it before that. I can't say that I was really playing music or, um, involved in like, music industry or whatever that during that time. But I remember life before everything was on the internet, you know?
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah. You remember the analog nature of the world. (laughs) Yeah.
4: But there's just people that are just a few years younger than me that, um, you know, that's all that they ever really knew. They've all really known.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's like, I mean, the, the dawn of the MySpace era, it's like, you know, that was the first time in which music was so, Readily accessible, where you didn't have to go and you know LimeWire and Napster or whatever. It's like, yeah, I, I agree with you. The uh, from what I can tell, I mean, you were born and raised in Mesa, Arizona, correct? Correct. And uh, I mean, Arizona is a such a weird place, especially for. Um, you know, I mean, obviously it exists in the middle of the desert, but it's a huge city spread across so many different, you know, suburbs of Glendale and Scottsdale and everything, every dale you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, what was your, I guess, uh, upbringing, uh, you know, like, like, did you find Arizona, you know, weird as you kind of started to, you know, travel and see a little bit more of the world or, you know, do you hold a a, a fondness for it? Because, I mean, obviously you do, you're still there in some capacity.
1: Yeah,
4: Um, well, it sounds like you're somewhat familiar with Arizona. You know, there's like um, Phoenix, where I actually live in the city of Phoenix now. But there's all this surrounding cities or suburbs, kind of um, that are considered Phoenix still. You like the Phoenix metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. Um, They have their own city, and you know your address might be Scottsdale or Mesa or whatever, but. Um, to simplify things, I would, you know, even before I lived in actual Phoenix city and I lived in Tempe for most of my adult life, if someone outside of Arizona asked me where I lived, I would say Phoenix just because it's easier. Mm -hmm. Um, but I grew up in Mesa, which is like a suburb of, of Phoenix. And to answer your question, I, once I started traveling around, I definitely realized how weird it is, or at least kind of a, um, an interesting sort of bubble that I lived in um, Mm -hmm. because in Mesa in particular, in the area of Mesa where I grew up um, it's very heavily Mormon populated and uh, my family is Mormon. So um, I'd thought that that was normal. You know Um, I thought that it was like that everywhere. I was like, Oh yeah, there's this many Mormon people every everywhere in every city or every state. But then once I started traveling or meeting people outside, um of the state or that lived on the east coast they're like they didn't even know what a mormon person was um,
3: <laughs> yeah but, let, let, let alone lds where it's just like what what are you talking about yeah
4: but where i grew up that was like the you know lds church is like pretty much in the ma- majority um and i would say it's on par with m- most places in utah maybe not more um for for whatever reason this there's kind of like a Settlement or whatever you'd you'd call it in Mesa. Um, So that's definitely something that I've found weird or um, unique about where I grew up um, and the circumstances that I grew up in, I guess.
3: Yeah, I did. Honestly, I didn't know that there was such a large contingent, uh, of, you know, Mormonism and LTS in Arizona. I mean, you know, most people presume or can make the connection between Utah and that, but, um, I didn't know there was such a prevalence there. Yeah.
4: Mesa in particular, I mean all over, but Mesa in particular is kind of known for that.
3: Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, and you know because you were brought up in a religious household uh when was the first time that you i guess started to like push against that or question that and start to you know kind of reckon with you know what faith meant to you because you were you know so immersed in it
4: um i was very young um you know the i, I kind of tell this story pretty often when we you know discussing how I was raised, but I was probably like five years old when I told my, my parents I didn't want to be Mormon because they wouldn't let me go to some uh, a kid in the neighborhood's birthday party on Sunday. They said, uh, you know, you can't go. They had this sit down talk of, well, this is what our family does. Our family's Mormon and we don't do things like that on Sunday. And I was just like, all right, well, I want to go to the birthday party, so I don't want to be Mormon.
3: Right. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah
4: my five-year-old brain that made sense and of course um it just kind of snowballed from there i would say it's all downhill from there um it kind of morphed in, into a more defiant attitude um as you know especially as early teens when i started getting into punk and skateboarding and all that um it kind of all rolled into like a, a defiant or anti-authority sort of thing um where it's like, sure whether it's against the Mormon church and their beliefs of like, I've been told not to do this, um, in my brain, that's something that's fun and I probably should do exactly what I've been told not to do, you know? Um, and that definitely got me in a lot of trouble, but in short, I, I was very, young when I decided that the the Mormon church wasn't for me. So I wouldn't even consider myself to be like ex-Mormon, you know? Right. You never Um, bought it in the first place. Yeah. Like I was baptized that you get baptized when in in a church when you're eight years old. So like not when you're a baby. Um, But again, it's not really something I had a choice in. Uh, But yeah, I wouldn't refer to myself as ex-Mormon really, because I was never in, like you said. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, uh, are, are you an only child or do you have brothers and sisters?
4: No, I have, uh, I have three, uh, three siblings. There's four kids total.
3: Okay. And where do you sit on this spectrum?
4: Um, I'm the second oldest, so I'm the older middle child. I have an older, uh, I have one older sibling and two younger siblings.
3: Got it. And uh, what, did your siblings kind of, uh, I guess, follow along in your path or were you the uh, proverbial black sheep as you started to, you know, kind of step out and, you know, do your own thing?
4: Um, I was definitely the black sheep. Definitely. My older brother, um, was, you know, the classic hard to follow, uh, older sibling, you know? Yeah, sure. (laughs) And then I think my little brother was, um, Honestly, I think that he, I, you know, after watching me get into all kinds of trouble and stuff, I think I, he kind of got scared straight by just watching me, you know. So, everyone in my, I'm definitely the black sheep.
3: Got it. Got it. Um, and, and what does your parents do for a living? Like, you know, I guess why, uh, why Arizona, kind of in the first place that they, you know, always live there.
4: Um, yeah. So, I my my both of my parents grew up in Mesa as well. Okay. Um, and my dad's family um they were you know his dad was a uh, orthodontist Mm. and um so my dad is an orthodontic technician okay Um, he makes retainers and other like appliances for um the mouth you know like mostly like post you know pre braces or post braces okay um Because now my uncle, my dad's brother, is an orthodontist, um, so he works for him. So it's like a second generation practice, I guess. Got it. And um, and he also was a seminary teacher. So again, like at LDS, um, the the Mormon church, they have kind of like, if you're not familiar with seminary, it's just it's kind of like Bible study, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's actual like high school um level like class that you'd go to every day just like you would like a, a math class in high school um so my dad taught seminary from when i was a, a little kid until um i think you know i was out of the house so you know he probably did it for 15 years or something
3: right right that's uh yeah so like the <laughs> you you should have been uh, in the teeth business i guess yeah <laughs> maybe maybe that's why you got such a good smile, Chase. It's,
4: I mean, it really is. Um, <laughs> right, it really is because I, I we do have a, a heavy teeth business family because my other uncle is a dentist, and
3: it's um, all all contained in the family. It's all teeth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, and I, I know, like in other interviews that you've spoken about your your kind of inflection point once you started to like you mentioned previously get into you know punk and skateboarding and uh, you know I know the punkorama comps were huge in your life mm-hmm. um, as they were in mine as well. Uh, something I find interesting about those uh, you know a, a lot of the the comp life that you know people like us were living in where it's like yeah you had your bands that were really instrumental in you know kind of your your first tier bands you know whatever your offsprings and stuff like that but then or your bad religions but then once you kind of like went uh one level deeper uh, either on those comps or obviously started to buy the catalog of you know those particular record labels what were kind of the weirdo bands that you know i guess were second tier for you that you started to get attracted to Ooh, uh good question um i think one of the like the not the a-list
4: bands on the um i think they were epitaph i remember 10 foot pole Oh hell yeah! I really like that band, but you know they're they i mean they're not pennywise and they're not uh, no effects or whatever. But so I would—they're not the top tier, but I really like that band for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think because my cousin, who you said, do you say that? Do you say that you're 40? Yes. Okay, so I think that he—he's like right around your age, if not your age, but he's the one that got me into a lot of this stuff. So he was already into skateboarding and into punk. And, um, you know, he, I got a bunch of hand-me-downs from him and he's, he's your age. So he was like really into bad religion, um, good riddance, propaganda. Um, and then, you know, mostly all like the epitaph of fat records stuff. But he, uh, he also liked some, hardcore like victory records sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. I remember like hearing turmoil from him and, uh, earth crisis and Snapcase. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to think as far as there was also kind of like the weird contingent that, um, like the Christian punk sort of world. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So like, uh, MXPX was like a really big band for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that they were just kind of like lumped in with a lot of that stuff, at least for, for kids my age. Sure. Um, but I think there was a little bit of influence from my parents, um, whether it was like actively or for me, it was just like, Oh, this is, uh, a little bit safer for me. Like my parents, uh, won't be as mad if I'm listening to like this more, I guess you say, wholesome pump. Yeah. Because um, they're already not really down for it. But I'm like, hey, this is, you know, this is actually, you know, we can go to the Christian bookstore and I can buy this like Goaty Hook or um,
3: <laughs> right, like yeah.
4: MXPX CD. And then my parents would be like, oh, we're at the Christian bookstore. Like, how bad could it be? You know, yeah. Like, yeah, sure, you can buy this. So um, MXPX was like one of the, First punk shows that I went to, um, and uh,
3: that's great. No, I, yeah. I I honestly love that story just because it is um, you know when you're navigating your musical taste and then you know the quote unquote oppressive nature of your parents, <clears throat> it's difficult to be able to like you you want them to you know uh, for lack of a better term kind of you know approve of what you're listening to. Like I E B permissive, you know, for yeah. the music that you're listening to, so you're like, "Hey, here's the lyrics," and like, trust me, this is okay. And so, like, I, I totally get that feeling of just like, this is like, I, I promise, like, this is totally fine.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's like a the easier, softer way, you know. Um yeah. it was. It's, I would say, in a way, like more accessible for your parents. Like a really good example is that there was, um, there was this church that was in mesa um it's kind of far east from from where i lived but there was a church that i mean, i was, this is probably in like 98 or 99 mm-hmm. i was first starting getting into, getting into punk and skateboarding but there was a church that on a th- wednesdays or thursday nights they would have a, a skate park a skate night so in the in the parking lot they would set up like a couple ramps and uh just like a, a pretty um, a pretty simple skate park, I guess you could say, but mm-hmm. they would, you know, let people come and skate and they would be playing music. They would be playing like MXPX or whatever Christian punk was going on at the time squad five Oh, um, mm-hmm. and it was a perfect thing because my parents were already pretty, uh, resistant to both like skateboarding culture and punk. Sure. So it was like, Hey, I can go do both of these things, but it's at a church. So, um, it's You You gotta let me
3: do this. Yeah. They'd be like,
4: okay, yeah, we'll go and drop you off. You know? So it was a good way for me to almost like sneak those two things that I was getting into under the radar, you know,
3: band merch is incredibly important to my life and it should be important to your life as well. And rockabilly.com is the place where you need to go. And then plus you use this code, PC, 100 words that gets you 15% off your order. And you will love me for this. Trust me. You will dive into their website, you will find so many things that you want to buy and be like, you know what? I just saved thousands of dollars because of this promo code, because I am spending my entire paycheck and the next paycheck and the next paycheck after that. But uh, all joking aside, their stuff is high quality. They deliver it fast to you. It's all officially licensed. So none of this bad bootleg stuff where bands aren't getting paid, not how Rockabilia rolls. So please go to Rockabilia.com. Type into that search bar some of your favorite bands and boom, you will have a world of awesomeness. And then you'll have your whole closet outfitted with the latest and greatest or even some some gems that you might be able to find in there that uh, may be dead stock that they just randomly have on their shelves. But rockabilly.com, PC, 100 words that gets you 15% off your order and be happy with what you are wearing.
5: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all want more time in our lives, you know, whether it's like, dang, I wish I had like another hour to, you know, play video games or read more or get outside or whatever it is. I know myself that I actually get questions a lot in regards to this podcast. How do you fit it in your day? And like, how do you do the interviews and all that stuff? to be able to then balance the rest of my life from my work and, you know, playing in a band and I have a family, all of these things. But that is why therapy is so awesome because it helps you be able to sort out your life to focus on the things that for one, really matter to you and two, try to find more time for those things that you love. That is why I love working with BetterHelp because if you need to find a therapist. They're there for you. So give them a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient for you. And they can be suited to your schedule. And you fill out a brief questionnaire, matches you up with your own personal therapist. And if you do not like that experience, you can switch it. No problem. No questions asked. It's great. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. It's an offer just for you, the listener of this podcast. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray.
1: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other
3: that's really what you have to do as a kid. Like, you know, it's not like you showing them, you know, a dead Kennedys record is going to get them stoked. Like, clearly, they're going to be like, this is not for Chase. Like, yeah. we need to ban him from that immediately. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah you, you, you got to take the uh, the path of less resistance for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and you strike me just, you know, kind of whatever, you know, uh, judging you from afar, uh, you, you you strike me as a person that, um, you know, is uh, like friendly and affable, but isn't the sort of person that is like the quote unquote life of the party where you're like sucking the air out of the room being like, oh, here's Chase, like, you know, loudmouth <laughs> or whatever. Um, has that kind of always like, first of all, am I accurate in that description? And second yeah. of all, is that kind of? you know what you kind of always have
4: navigated the world with i think so um i would i would i would like to think so um sure
3: (laughs) you hope so yeah
4: yeah i mean i'm not like uh i think it comes back to the way that i was raised um you know like i'm not a super loud like opinionated person um but it is always something that i've just been able to you know get along with everybody you know um I definitely, there's definitely a part of me where I was, when I was younger, I remember whether it was my cousin and his friends or just like older people, I was oftentimes like the younger kid. And I was also a really small kid. Um, and I was hanging out with older people and they either thought I was really funny or I was kind of like the crazy kid. You know, I kind of had to like make up for being younger and smaller by doing crazy things. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it was like jumping off the roof naked into the pool or, um, whatever it was, I was, there was definitely always kind of like an urge to, um, perform, I guess, or even if it was just to make people laugh, um, that, that was always some, something that was like ingrained in me when I was, a from like a, a smaller, much younger kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then say like in high, junior high or high school where um, a lot of my friends that I played music with or that we were into like more alternative or like underground, um, had more underground interests, whether it was music or whatever it may be. Um, a lot of my friends would get bullied by other people at school, you know, they would like, what's up you emo, you know, like what's uh, right." you know, like pretty classic, like jock versus punk stuff or whatever. But this was like in the early 2000s. And, um, so emo was like a, a, a really, that's how you dissed somebody, you know, It's basically sure. like calling someone a wimp, you know? Yep. And, uh, but my, fr- you know, I, my friends would get bullied, but for somehow I always circumvented that, like I somehow found a way to make these people that would, probably were supposed to be bullying me to like laugh or even like be friendly with me. Um So I don't know, like I it's interesting that you pick, pick that up, but I don't know that. Yeah. It's to answer your questions. It's pretty correct. I would, I would say.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I, I think it honestly, like in, you know, kind of understanding your musical journey and like the art that you've put out in the world. Um, you you strike me as a person too, that your music interests you've always kind of painted with a really broad brush. It's like, you know, most and like this is coming from a person who like worked at Century Media for like 10 years, where I noticed a very, very distinct difference between kids who are raised with like, you know, just kind of the metal scene and then versus kids who are raised obviously in like the punk and hardcore scene. Like, you know there's a distinct difference between the two not saying one's better than the other but i think that your willingness to you know whatever listen to a bunch of different styles of music is not something that is uh as permissive within the metal scene and and so i find it interesting that you've been able to kind of take all those influences and then you know even though you know, no one would ever be like, Oh yeah, gate creeper kind of sounds like MXPX. Like (laughs) you'd still, you'd still be able to like usher that along in some weird way. Yeah. Um,
4: I, it's definitely interesting because I would say for a couple of reasons, um, you know, like a lot of my peers, um, or some of my peers, even some people in my band, um, you know, around the time that we had spoken about, you know, like the, punkorama compilation times or whatever you know Mm. in in on a in the same timeline in metal that was a lot of new metal you know um so for me i took the punk route and um you know there was a lot of people my age who might play in metal bands now um who they during that time they were into new metal um so it it I think I took a little bit of a different route and then also, I don't know if it's they're related, but a lot of people in metal, like um, I find myself relating to and becoming friends more with people that I've met through music that are maybe more involved in like hardcore. Um, Even though I've never identified as like a hardcore, you know, quote unquote, hardcore kid, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I've always existed in the same existed in the same world. And that might be from being from somewhere like Arizona or Phoenix, where um, there's not a whole lot of separation, you know, like punk and hardcore and metal, you know, it it all kind of exists together. You're just into underground music and you go to all those shows and and are all those bands even play the same shows. Yeah, that's true. Um, So, but there's something, I'm not sure what it is, whether it's because my, my entry point or whether it's like the, the social realm um the personalities but i feel like i uh i get along more with people outside of metal or like the um on the fringes of metal you know mm-hmm. what, whatever you would describe is where i exist you know whether i am playing in a metal band and it's not and it's not even a metal band where you know uh, we started out as something else and then we became a metal band. You know, it's always been a metal band, but still um, I find myself like towing the line as far as social circles. Yeah,
3: yeah. Oh no, I agree. And I think it's like, you know, you have the quote unquote metal aesthetic, but at the same time, it's like, hey, I got a weirdo mustache. And like, (laughs) you know, I I talk about, you know, all of the uh, Get Up Kids records, you know, and I can go in intimate detail and all those. And like, you know, a person that like, their entry point is carcass. Like they're never going to listen to a get up kids record and be yeah. like, "Oh, dude, four minute miles, great." Like that just doesn't. And I, I think you're right. Like that. I guess that kind of like, especially within Arizona, and I've always, uh, you know, admired and noticed so many bands. Like, uh, you know, I'll use a random example. There's a band called Suicide Nation. Oh yeah, and like, and I know you, and I, they just always blew my mind because it was like, here's these guys who like play, you know. Absolutely unbelievable, you know, melodic, you know, Swedish death metal from Arizona, but like existed in the hardcore scene and bands like Unruh and Groundwork. And like, they all were never fully residing within one scene. And Arizona has always been, like you said, kind of known for that just because it, you know, it, the scene was proverbially so small that you weren't able to be like, okay, here's a solely hardcore show or here's a solely metal show. It's like everyone just kind of played together.
4: Yeah. And yeah, that, I mean, that's, a, that's a huge thing, whether it's for me personally or for gate creeper, you know, I, I try to explain that, you know, cause people, um, you know, when we started out, we started playing, you know, we played shows with metal bands or other death metal bands, but we also played hardcore shows, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I, th- I, th- there's like a common, I think it's a more like modern, issue that people have whether it's like people that are strictly in the metal lane they have mm. a um a resistance t- towards anything that's like hardcore related sure so i we've run into a very common and i think very lazy dismissal that people are like oh gay creeper just hardcore guys pl- trying to play metal or like the classic, Oh, these guys just heard obituary yesterday and they started to, they decided to start a death metal band, which is not only untrue. Um, but it's, it's very untrue in a way that it's like, they don't, they obviously don't know the history of the band. They don't really know. Um, it's not based on any, any reality. It's just a a very, Lazy dismissal that I think uh, people use a lot now.
3: It's I agree. I mean, especially with uh, you know not comparing you guys, but uh, looking at a band like Deaf Heaven, Mm -hmm. it's like you could not uh, you know get a more divisive band. Like especially once they started to you know first rise, and you know the same thing can be applied towards you guys, where it's like you know putting out records on relapse, and then also putting out you know your recent. Record on closed casket. It's like you know who, who arguably would be most metalheads would be like, oh, that's just some some hardcore label or whatever. Yeah. And it's like it it becomes like you said dismissive to where if you actually listened to, to the music, removing any baggage you have, you would like the record.
1: Yeah, like,
2: it's <laughs> so just yeah,
4: that. it's just it's like a really cheap, um, it's just a lazy um, dismissal, and you know use it like the word hardcore in context of like metal or whatever, like a lot of people see it as like a dirty word, you know, Sure, or like, Oh, they're just hardcore kids, which, like I said earlier, that's not true. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I have pretty thick skin and I can, <clears throat> if people don't like my band, that's totally fine, you know? Um, but, it, that sort of stuff always kind of annoys me just because I want to be like, okay, here's the, here's the, here's the truth. This is not true, but you know, I'm not going to waste my breath doing that. Um, but you know, maybe some people get metal purists get turned off when I, like you said, talk about get up kids or Jimmy Eat world or whatever, but it's, it, uh, it makes me feel good that there's people like you who have heard that and are like, Oh, that's cool. You know? So yeah, there is, there's probably people on both sides that, Either hate that or love that.
3: Yeah, no, it's true. Um, what was your, uh, I guess, like as you were going through school, and you know, you were completely immersed within, uh, you know, all of the independent music that you were shoving in your head. Um, was there ever kind of like a life path in regards to okay, I'm going to grow up and you know, like be in the teeth business, or <laughs> is it just like I'm just kind of you know wandering around?
4: Um, I mean, as far as career-wise. Um, yeah, I never really had much of a path. Um, I mean, it sounds corny, but like I always wanted to play in a band, you know, I always sure. had the, the rock star dreams. Um, and, but that's not something that you can like tell your parents and they, they, uh, are very stoked about, um, Yeah, there was, there was maybe a time when I was in, I was like early twenties and I, was in community college and I, and I wanted to teach elementary school okay. Um, because I like, I've always had a way with, with kids like kids like me. I like kids. Um, it's just a, you know, cause I have a big extended family. So like I have a bunch of younger cousins and now I have nephews and nieces. And I thought that that would be, it was, I, I guess it wasn't even something that I was like really passionate about. It was more of like, Oh, I guess I got to figure something out to do, you know? Right. 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 Um, as was like a default, but that kind of, that, that went away and I'm, I'm kind of glad, but, um, and also as far as just like a life path, I think that, um, if you've ever heard me talk about things and you probably know as well, but like drugs are a big part of my, my story. So mm-hmm. I think that I got into that very young and that just got in the way of anything that could have been, um, you know, like help me, you know, have any sort of direction, you know, that, sure. that became my direction. And then I was just like coasting through life and just trying to get by, you know?
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. That was going to lead into my, you know, next year, the, you, your, your descriptions of your experiences with your, you know, battle with, uh, you know, addiction and your, you know, cause you've been sober now for what, like eight years or so. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I. I. I say like I don't know because I know exactly because I've shared it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Around seven and a half years. No. Yeah. <laughs> but um. I. I I'm going to guess that you are probably. You know. Now that you have distance from it, you probably attribute most of your battles with. Uh. You know. Drug use and like. You know. Not just recreational drug use. Like really dark drug use. Where you know. Like were you actually living on the streets or was that um, kind of hyperbole?
4: Um. I never. I would say that I I was homeless, but I never had to live on the streets. You know, it was more kind of like a couch surfing homeless situation.
3: Sure, which is still obviously not ideal. I just was yeah, (laughs) wasn't trying to be like, oh, dude, you weren't actually homeless, Chase. You didn't really live in the park. Um, Yeah, totally. Um, But I'm gonna guess, like, like you said, you really leaned into the fact that you were trying to rebel and, uh, you know, be anti-authoritarian against everything that you had been kind of, you know, brought up with. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure as you were going through it, you weren't able to articulate that. But do you think a lot of it stems from that? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, like I
4: I talked about before, it was like it started as, you know, not being able to go to a birthday party. Um, And then it started with other things where I was told not to do something and I did it and I enjoyed it and then that snowballs and it became really dark whether it's like you if you remember for people of our generation dare um yep by that time you know here's this teacher or like a policeman or something telling me about drugs and saying don't do this this is bad and in my sort of sick reasoning or kind of like exaggerated defiant you know state i was like they're telling me to do this i want to do this immediately you know like not only am i not scared i'm like excited to do this now because i've been told not to do it based on historically everything that i've been told not to do has been enjoyable or fun so it kind of got this like way of thinking that like my parents or religion or teachers or cops they're just telling me not to do these things because they don't want me to have fun, you know, Mm -hmm. which is like for a kid, that's like a very dangerous way of thinking. Sure. Um, And then I think also what we touched on earlier is like me, um, hanging out with other people and like always being like the kind of like crazy entertaining kid, um, that is had that I was pretty fearless. So when it came to drugs and like a lot of things were, because people ask me like, you know, I did started doing drugs when I was probably like 13. And I, I think I did heroin for the first time when I was 16. And I was actually telling, uh, I was telling a friend about like, you know, my first experiences and they're like, how did you get that? Like who gave that to you? Like, weren't you scared? Like, uh, but I wasn't at all. And, and, you know, that was just my outlook. But I think that most normal people are, are, Scared of that stuff for a reason, but I was like the opposite. I was like excited.
3: Yeah, I was. Or I was going to say like also probably curious because you're yeah, like, hey, it's right. This like forbidden fruit, and mm-hmm. it's right here. It's like, well, how bad can it be, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Did you? I guess did you like the? Uh, yeah, this maybe sounds like a very gross, oversimplified question, but like you know, did you like the the, the feeling of getting high? Um, you know i mean i know that there is you know sort of the visceral pleasure of it mm-hmm. um but you know did it just kind of obviously become habitual for you and the the feeling of you know i guess goodness that you got out of it uh became less and less over time yeah
4: um you know a lot of times in in recovery and anything like that you try to get down to like the reasoning um or you know what was it that you were trying to escape from you know, mm-hmm. I, I was, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I didn't really have too much childhood trauma or anything like that because a lot of people do, you know, like a lot of people are like, you know, this happened to me and this is what I was trying to escape. Um, but for me, I didn't really have that. Like there wasn't, you know, like not even something as is pretty minimal as like a divorce or anything like that. That was just like, wasn't something that I, that I had to deal with, but I think that I was just, I was just bored. You know, like, um, I wanted to escape just being bored. You know, like, I didn't want to be at school. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to just, you know, pretty boring suburban life. Um, and so, yeah, I can't attribute my, you know, drug use or substance abuse or, or getting high on any sort of real escapism, um, as far as escaping some sort of trauma or, or anything like that, but um, you know, it just can be chalked up to that I liked getting high. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, as you because you were doing this also in conjunction with you, you know, starting to play in some of your you know your first bands and mm-hmm. you know getting the idea of playing shows and stuff like that. What what was actually your first like proverbial band where you actually like played a show?
4: Um, it was a band that I played in. Uh, I played drums in okay uh and it was just me and some some kids from my junior high just playing cover songs really
3: oh nice Um, what covers did you (laughs) uh
4: we we did uh the ataris um sandimas high school football rules Um, we did uh, we did green day brain stew like it was all just the songs that i first learned how to play on guitar Mm -hmm. um so I think we might have done Bro Him. Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, we did a couple Blink-182 songs. Um, and maybe... But nothing nothing original. No. I think we, we wrote like one original song or something. But also okay. uh, an important part that these were we were doing instrumental covers of these songs.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. No one's singing. Yeah. Just... Just killing it just, instrumental. Yeah,
4: exactly. Just very rudimentary uh, versions of these songs, and so I played drums, and then I played bass in a band, and I was kind of like learned how to play all the instruments all
3: at once. Um, and why why is why is that? Because usually, you know, kids get kind of attracted to one instrument or the other. But do you you know are a renaissance man? So like, did you just do that out of function?
4: Yeah, I guess so. Um, I think it was like I had l- first learned how to play play guitar. Um, you know, like just enough, just learned enough how to play what I was listening to. Mm-hmm. You know, like downloading MXPX tabs or like Blink-182 songs where those songs and Green Day songs, you know, like, it's pretty good stuff to be able to learn, uh, to, to learn how to play guitar because it's so easy to play. Sure. Um, so... know i learned how to play those songs and then i think there for this first band that i've been describing it was like hey i learned how to play these songs i'm going to teach them or play them with this kid who has a guitar and and plays guitar and his brother has a drum set so we're going to go in his room and you're going to play guitar and i'm going to play the drums it was just that simple you know
3: right did that did the band have a name
4: um i think we went by the name down by one
3: That's that's really good, actually. I, I'm that's, pretty.
4: I'm sure that there's like 500 bands called Down by One, but um,
3: <laughs> no, I I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't. I mean, I'm sure there's 500 local bands, but yeah, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I, li- I like that. Um, so w- and when you started to. I, I guess for lack of a better term, like your your more like serious band where you actually started to, you know, play shows out of town mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of like have the first taste of what it's like to be in a quote unquote professional band. Mm-hmm. Was that like more in the like spirit of drift days or like what, what would you kind of place that? In?
4: Uh, gate creeper for sure. Oh, okay. Um, got it. Like I played in a band, um, when I was, you know, from when I, my first like metal band, I guess when I was like 18 to probably 22 or so, um, okay. And we played. We played a lot of shows. Like we kind of did a lot of like opening for opening shows, or you know, the local support on a lot of shows. We never played like out of town, really. Okay, um,
3: played the Rebel Lounge a lot.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, at that time it used to be called the Mason Jar. Um, yes, that's true. But that's actually, right. a, during I think during this era, it might have been closed for a lot of it because that that building was closed down for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was like the modified. Uh, yeah. Yep. And there's a place called the fix. Um, the Nile was closed during this time. Um, and there was a couple other like random, uh, uh DIY spots, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like practice spaces that would have shows. Um, and, but Gate creeper is the first band that I toured with. And that was also like, I started Gate creeper after I got sober, so I I was actually never even, you know, touring or I'm sure that they, there's a connection there, but I wasn't able to really do anything or, or play at a professional level until after I got sober.
3: Sure. Yeah. I would definitely say there was probably a connection there. Yeah. <laughs> um, And did you, you know, as you started to experience kind of the, the touring life and, um, you know, like whatever, selling merch and like all the, the, trappings of what a you know quote-unquote professional band would look like um you know did you enjoy tour did you enjoy the business aspects of the band like were there things that were different than what you expected um
4: i mean i enjoy the the, the business stuff for sure you know like i was uh, we just recently got a manager but like i've been the manager for the band in pretty much the whole time um mm-hmm. and you know a, again being very open uh you know, I used, I learned business by selling drugs. Um, like it's, you know, The business model of selling drugs and selling t-shirts on tour is not really that much different, you know?
3: Yeah, I was going to like, that's really interesting to me just because I mean, I I get what you're saying. Um, Like the basic principles of, you know, hey, I'm showing up at a place and like you got to trade this product for this money or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But you, you really do like it is kind of almost a one to one correlation, you would say.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's like, I bought these, you know, I bought this product for this amount and I'm going to break it up into smaller amounts and I'm going to sell it for way more than I bought it for. Um, and then when it's out, I got to like, you know, re up, I got to get more of this product, uh, in time so that there's not a, a lapse in sales. Like it's all the same. I mean, it's not really that much different. And I, and so I kind of, uh, eased into that and, uh, I had some experience, I guess you could say.
3: Right, right. It, it, the The one thing I wanted to pull out there is the idea that um, kind of what we were going back to originally, where it's like, you know, people uh, are, uh, you know, attracted to others art based off of, you know, like, oh, I like that person or like that person seems trustworthy or whatever. Like, did you find that impacting, I guess, your, you know, business from the the drug perspective or it was like, oh, Chase seems like a good dude. Like, so, you know, we can get our score off of him. Like, Was that? <laughs> I I mean, you know, I'm kind of joking, but at the same time, like it it, it seems like that would maybe influence it a little bit or no.
4: Um, Yeah, I don't know. Like I was definitely way more like, you know, just by nature, like a little bit sketchier, you know, when I was just, you know, that's just part of the game. But um, I I do think that when I did use my uh, my my junkie hustle for good, when I started the band, which I've talked about before Um, you know, not only like the business equivalents aside, but you know, when I I was doing drugs and I was just very active in, in drug use, that's your whole life. And that's all you, you're like obsessed with it. Um, whether you want to be or not, you know, as soon as you wake up in the morning, you're like, all right, how am I going to get drug? How am I going to get money? Like, what am I going to do? Like, Mm -hmm. you know. Do I have to commit any crimes today? You know, like who do I need to, like, what do Sheet I need down. to do? Yeah, right. it's like it's always running. It's always running. So I kind of used that energy that I had been using f- for, you know, uh, self destructive uh, purposes. Once I got sober and I started the band, I s- kind of kept that energy and I was just translated it into doing something with our band, you know, like every day, just. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's shirt designs or like sending emails to like some blog to like post our record or, or whatever it was. Um, I use that same energy. And then also what we talked about before, aside from the straight business stuff, but a lot of it, as you know, um, for I guess management roles of, of a band is a lot of it's like networking and, um, personal relationships with people and that's you know we talked about that's something that i've always leaned into and i've i've always you know been able to do with ease so i think that that's come into come into the picture as well because it's something that i genuinely enjoy you know and it's it's definitely um Mm -hmm. positively affected the band and what we've been able to do just based on like being somebody that people like or people that, you know, being someone that, or a band that people want to give like a good opportunity to.
3: Yeah. It, it's really interesting. Cause I've never heard anybody be able to articulate that, um, that through line, like, cause you know, usually the common expression that I see when people, you know, are, are doing band stuff at an early age and like, you know, you're learning like accounting principles and like all these things that you don't actually know that you're learning. But The kind of reverse engineering of what it is after a person goes through, you know, recovery, it's like usually there's one of two paths. Like they get obsessed with, um, you know, religion or they get obsessed with like, you know, self-care, like all of a sudden being like, you know, a really muscular human being or whatever. But like for you to be able to be like, hey, I'm going to, you know, apply the same principles I learned here into an independent band like that's just you know i, I don't know that's it, to me it's genius but I, it's something that I, I haven't heard anybody else articulate
4: yeah well i mean granted throughout this whole thing even when i was doing drugs i was still obsessed with music you right. know i was still obsessed with music downloading music like an insatiable hunger for finding new music um so i would definitely use the term reverse engineering on stuff like that you know like where i had this yeah junky hustle or whatever so when gay Creeper first started i remember reverse engineering uh like how do i find out about new music oh there's the because at the time it was kind of at the tail end of like the the golden era of downloading like media fire um download blogs mm-hmm. so i was like this is how i find new music so i'm just gonna email all these people or or whatever it was like smaller blogs or even like Like cult nation at the time was like um, you know, a place where I found new music or other people found new music, and I just reverse engineered that and just started sending it to all the places that I would find new
3: music. Right. Yeah. You would be like, I I can I can take this knowledge of things that I've already been craving myself and then, you know, try to inject my band in there.
4: Yeah. And yeah and that's the same thing where people whether it's local bands or whatever, like, Hey, um, I'm trying to find somebody uh, a label to put out my, my record or something like that. And for me, it's just very simple. Like, okay, well, look at the records that you like and look who put out that record and find out how to contact them or look at maybe not shoot for the stars and send it to, you know, like a huge label, but like see another smaller band and look on the back of their record and see who put it out. If it's a smaller label and just like, it's probably pretty easy just to send them an email, you know? So that sort of stuff is uh, just kind of a no brainer for me, but I guess Mm -hmm. I understand that like, that's not the case for everybody.
3: Yeah, sure. Um, And kind of on that same line, the idea of applying yourself from the, you know, business perspective. And like you said, dedicating a lot of your energy that you know you had in your, your hustle for, you know, the, the drug life you were living, (laughs) How, how that clearly has also impacted your creativity as well, where it's like you're, you're able to dedicate your resources towards kind of both of those things. Um, not everybody can kind of do that in that way, where it's like <clears throat> sometimes people just kind of stick to, like, I'm the music writing person, or like I'm the business person, but you've been able to kind of, I guess, toe both lines. Um, how I, I This may sound simple, but like, how are you able to do that? Does it come maybe a little more naturally to you or... But what do you, what do you attribute that to?
4: Um, Yeah, I think it comes naturally and also, you know, it is a lot of work, um, but it's, it sounds corny or really simple that, you know, if you enjoy what you're doing, then it doesn't really seem like work, you know? Sure. So looking back, like I've been working hard every day at things, but, you know, in the moment it doesn't feel like I'm working, you know, Uh, whether it's just like talking to people, from other bands or from, you know, promoters or whatever it may be, um, or, you know, working on shirt designs or like working on whatever it is. Like I'm very hands-on with everything, uh, which can be tiring for myself and maybe even tiring for other people that I work with because I'm so particular. Um, and you know, if, if you look back and definitely like in relationships that I've had, people are like, you're you're a workaholic you know um but it doesn't seem like i'm working even though i am working pretty much 24 7 but it's just because I, I like it and i enjoy doing it so um maybe some people really like to write music but they don't really care for like the business side or maybe people are really talented on the business side but they're not able to you know write music but there's definitely people that can do both um and in my own case, I was able to do both for a long time. It definitely one or the other starts to um, they it, it becomes harder and harder to do both. So that's why mm-hmm. you know, early last year, we finally got a manager because it became like you know, just doing all the behind the scenes stuff for the band became more than a, a full time job for me because I'm, I'm, I definitely bite off more than I can chew. Um, because I want to do whether it's because I'm like a, you know, control freak or I, which I don't think that I am. I'm just very particular. So I'm just like, I would rather do this myself. Um, sure. Whether it's not trusting someone to do it the the way that I want to, or whatever it is, but I'm just like, I'm going to do all this myself, whether it's like, Curating, um, you know, as far as the uh, visual aspect of the band, and then the music, and then I was even like, "All right, I am going to tour manage us the, our band w- when we're on tour." And eventually, I am like, "I can't do all of this because if i am putting I right. am putting all my energy, and I am just like spending, you know, f- forty hours a week plus or eighty hours a week doing all this behind this the scene stuff, then I don't really have." the energy or like juices left to write a new song or whatever, you know?
3: Yeah. Well, I I, I mean, honestly, hearing you kind of lay this all out to me, it, it definitely indicates like you're, you seem like a curious dude. So not only are you, Wanting to do these things because, like you were talking about, you know, whatever, <laughs> some element of control over them. But then you're also curious about how things like work. Very similar to you know what you were like when you were learning instruments, where mm-hmm. it's like, okay, drums, guitar, like you're just going to kind of build off of it. Um, and so, it I think there's a little bit of that in there too. You know, not playing armchair psychologist here, but <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're totally right. You know, like I am. And that plays into to some of it too as to, um, why I stay so active in it because I, I am interested, like I am interested in like the behind the scenes, like music business stuff. I am interested and I've worked in say like the, the promotion side of live music, um, and all that stuff. It, yeah, I guess it would seem like a lot more work if I wasn't genuinely interested in it, you know?
3: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um the last thing i want to hit on was uh you know it it kind of harkens back to what we were talking at the very top where you know the presentation of yourself um as far as you know y- you being as active as you are on social media and just you know sharing who you are as a human um you know clearly there's a place for humor in metal um but for the most part it's pretty devoid of it you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's a, there's a lot of uh y- th- they're, they're definitely, like you said, there's a lot of, uh, self-serious, um, you know, like you're not going to be self-aware about the way, like, you know, I, I just always think about people that, you know, put on a uh, stage voice, you know, yeah. (laughs) and like just that, that notion definitely exists within metal where it doesn't exist in a lot of other, you know, music scenes, especially, you know, punk and hardcore and stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you, like, do, do people give you, I guess, you know, uh, like more direct negative feedback in regards to, like, oh, like, you, you seem like such a tool, Chase? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, of course people are going to, you know, say what they want to on social media, but, you know, like, does it, uh, do, do you get kind of like hear that feedback? Or is it just one of those things where you're like, oh, I hear it, but obviously I'm not going to change that?
4: Um, well, as far as like the humor sort of stuff, like, I've very, purposefully separate my own personal stuff from the band you know Mm -hmm. like I'll definitely you know I'm within whatever I'm stupid stuff that I'm doing on social media like I'm definitely plugging my band and promoting my band but you know the opposite side of that like from the band social media whatever it's like it's pretty dry you know sure so I think you know because personally everyone in the band like we're all like funny people like we're always joking or whatever but I don't want it to be you know that's our, us personally like that's who we are but as far as a band like I don't want to be like a joke band you know like I don't want to be like a meme band um, so I think it's important to find a balance whether it's like on our own personal you know like I'm, I'm joking all the time and I'm whatever I'm acting the fool on my own social media but from the from like a band perspective not only because i i think that it's a little unfair to everybody else in the band if i was like spouting off my own personal opinions or or jokes through the band social media Mm -hmm. Um, i just don't think that that's like a good look personally Um, sure but yeah i i don't really get a lot of feedback. I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that don't like me just because I think they think I'm an idiot or,
5: um,
4: or whatever it is, you know, like, and like I said earlier, you know, like kind of like the false humility thing. Like maybe people think that I'm uh, like arrogant or something, which, which it kind of, that's something that I've always like kind of worried about, I guess, because I think that, part of my humor if people don't understand it they can think that i'm like arrogant um but really it's uh it's like an ironic sort of uh humor and uh so i i guess to answer your question i don't get a whole lot of direct feedback um there's definitely as far as social media stuff and like putting your own personal life out there it's uh, something you have to get used to is like the balance of what I put out there of my, of my personal life and what I actually keep to my personal life. Cause you don't want to be the person that's like puts your whole entire life on blast, um, for everybody. And, but also, you know, you want to put some people out, you know, give people something that they can relate to or like, you know, for me, just like putting out there who I am as a person, you know?
3: Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, I totally get that. I, I think it's, it it it's always tough when there is this this notion like i you know I want you to take what I do as far as the art you know seriously, but then at the same time, like you know I am not so self serious that I understand that you know like i'm I'm just playing in a dumb band like yeah, it's calm down or whatever like yeah in the in the yeah. social
4: media thing it's like you know at first, you know first say on tour and someone comes up and they're like, Hey Chase. At first it's kind of jarring. You're like, I don't know who you are. Like, why do you know my name? But of course, like if I, if when I was younger or even now, if I know of a band, even though I don't know them personally, like I might know who the singer is. Like there's what their name is. Um, yeah. I might read interviews with them or maybe I'll follow them on social media. So at first I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That, it's, it's weird. I have to get used to this. And then as it, goes on in time you know like i'm sam on a on an earlier tour of ours and um i'm at the merch table and someone comes up and they like bring me a red bull or they're like they asked me about my dog they're like oh how's bodie and if, at first it's kind of jarring again like whoa like did i just get nardwired but no um, <laughs> right that's like something that i put out there so if it's i can't Put this stuff out there, and then think that it's weird that people actually are absorbing that information. Um, so it's just finding a balance of like, you know, because I am a still like a private person, you know, like mm-hmm. I want to have some sort of privacy or like my own personal life. Um, so it's it's like finding the balance of you know putting out there or like, I guess not like purposefully being entertaining just for entertainment's sake. But, um, you know, just like things that I think are funny. And like I said, I've always liked making people laugh, um, and joking around with my friends or, or whatever it may be. And, you know, it, they're definitely mutual beneficial. Like we, we started at the top, you know, like for the most part, um, you know, if someone likes you, then they'll, they'll hopefully like what you do as far as, um, creative output. Um. Like, do you know, uh, you know, Finn McKinty?
3: Of course. Yeah. yeah.
4: So, I mean, I've been following him for a long time, like since he did the metal inquisition blog yeah, and then like stuff you will hate and like, you know, like Sergeant D like I've been following it for a long time. So I, I, I've, I've always thought that he's had interested, an interested, interesting take on things. And I was talking to him the other day and he, and he's the one that kind of brought that up of like, you know, if people like you and they're interested in you, then by default, they're going to be interested in what you, you know, your music or your art or whatever it is. So, um, you know, I take that into account and that may be especially maybe of metal purists or like underground purists. They think that, um, you know, it might be frowned upon to like, you know, do your thing on social media and, and gain some sort of following. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, if you want to do like, I want to, I want to, I do this for a living now. Um, I have been for a while. and If I want to continue to do that, you know, if it means doing things that some people might think I'm lame for doing, um, that's fine because, you know, I don't have to work a normal job anymore. And that's, you know, I'm willing to, to sacrifice the, the opinions of, um, some people thinking I'm lame. That's like something that I've, I've come to accept, you know,
3: yeah, for sure. Yeah, You're like, that's, that's fine. Like as long as I don't have to show up to a, uh, you know, office and do this, well, no one shows up to an office now, but you get the point.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I don't want to, you know, like I have a pretty, uh, strict, you know, like a pretty sensitive barometer for things that I think are lame, you know, like are cringy or whatever. So I'm like, I'm not doing something that I, uh, that isn't authentic, but there's definitely a point where you, for me, you know you want people to like you you know you want to be accepted or like validated on in whatever you do just by human nature and i think i'm even more on the like more sensitive side but um so it, it took me having to just kind of accept things and be like hey not everybody's gonna like me or like if someone you know if these people think that i'm like like getting caught up on like what everybody thinks about me, like, what do these people, my peers think about me doing this? And you just, it took a while for me to just kind of get over that, like whatever, like you can't please everybody. I'm just going to be authentic and like be who I am. And if, you know, if people are receptive to that, then cool. If they're not, whatever, like, I'm not going to let it eat my lunch, you know, like I'm not going to let it rule how I interact, um, online or, or whatever it is, you know, like I've just kind of resigned myself to, to doing what I think is cool. Um, what I think is funny. Um, and hopefully people, you know, hopefully we're on the same page with a lot of people. And if not cool, you know, if you don't like yeah. my band, that's cool. Um, if you don't like me, if you, if you think that I'm an idiot, that's cool too
3: yeah right exactly it's just like well you're uh you know there's plenty of other bands you can get into so yeah. you, we're just we're, you're not for me or or i'm not for you that's why
4: <laughs> yeah and i i try like i said before like i'm not a super opinionated person um you know that that's something that i think that can get you in trouble online um is you know being a little too opinionated or having some hot takes or whatever like for instance of you know one time I said something about new metal, like I didn't like new metal and people got really upset. Um, and I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, um, that's one of the few times that I've I've voiced a specific opinion and people, you know, had very strong opinions otherwise. So, um, it's just, you know, I, I try to avoid opinions because that, that'll give you a, just that'll give people a reason not to like you. Um, more so than to people like, like if you voice some sort of opinion, whether it's an unpopular opinion or not, if people agree with you, it's just whatever. But if people
3: don't agree with you, that's like a big issue, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's what, that's, that's what you're going to get in a, you know, quote unquote trouble just because it's like, Oh man, we're going (laughs) to, this, this is going to be litigated 15 times over and I didn't really meet it this way or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, I totally get where you're coming from. Well, Chase, thanks for hanging out, dude. I really appreciate this. And uh, yeah, I appreciate uh, letting me pick your brain on all of these uh, random things that you probably haven't been asked before <laughs> in, some, in some capacity. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. Okay, that was that. And thank you very much, Chase, for coming to hang out on the show. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a great conversation. I'm actually going to have him on my Instagram live soon. So uh, yeah, pay attention to that once that, uh, that comes out. Um, you can just follow me at xPurposeX on Instagram. We're talking about records this weekend. So that's a fun one. Next week, I have Mike Reed from the almighty band called Small Brown Bike, who, um, you know, broke up in, uh, I don't know, 2005 or so, got back together, is putting out music occasionally, play some shows occasionally, but they're just an amazing band. I saw them, I don't know, a handful of times in the early 2000s, the early aughts, and uh, I love them so, so much. And so out of the blue, I just randomly emailed uh, the singer, Mike Reed, and he was like, oh, yeah, let's do this. So that's what we got. And uh, that's what's happening next week. So until then, please be safe, everybody.
5: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.
1: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.